Welcome to the Pod 20, and my guest this week is the sexpert from Radio 1, Alex Fox. We'll talk about sex and virtual dating. Simon Squibb will talk about how he got started as an entrepreneur, and the voice actor Tom Clark Hill, he'll tell us about growing up in Northern California. It's all happening on a show that's more confusing than tiered lockdown. And the big political question about the tiers is, are they tiers for fears? or the tears of a clown. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com and around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. At number 20 this week, it's grounded with Louis Theroux. Stuck at home, Louis is using the lockdown to track down some high-profile people he's been looking to talk to from all walks of life and from both sides of the Atlantic. 19 is the Football Daily from BBC Radio 5 Live, the latest from the Premier League, EFL, European football and more. At 18, The Modern Man, a podcast from Ollie Mann that features the sexpert Alex Fox. Alex, I know you've talked about virtual dates being the in thing during lockdown. Are they here to stay? It seems so, yeah. About a quarter of people have decided that they're going to carry on um, doing virtual dating, even it. it feels so nerve-wracking to say when the pandemic's over. Please, when the pandemic's over, when we're not, when we're back to normal, a lot of people say they're going to continue to use video dating. I think a lot of people will also continue to use uh, video communication to talk to their friends and their family. And a lot of us are already contemplating more flexible working, even when we're allowed to return to our offices. Uh, working from home for a lot of people has advantages. So polishing your skills and getting those basics right um, is a really good idea, no matter what your plans. Um, and there's just a few really small things that you can do. If you are intimidated by the idea of um, having a natural like we are doing through a screen and because it's for a lot of people it does feel new or it makes them feel a bit fragile a bit vulnerable the first thing is if you can make sure at all that your wi-fi connection is decent and stable make sure your route is in a good place um avoiding those stuttering stammering bad connections where someone freezes always in the middle of a gurn isn't it they look like they're doing thriller themed (laughs) musical statues or, you know, you don't want your punchline being cut off at the end of a joke. So a decent Wi-Fi connection. Obviously, I'm going to say Virgin Media. <laughs> um, other things just to keep an eye on are um, during a Zoom like the one we're having now or a Skype call, I can see a little picture of myself in the top right corner of my laptop. I've been trying to ignore me because um, there's often a, a temptation to like check your hairs in place, see what your face looks like. Uh, When I'm doing that, I'm not looking at you. And eye contact is a really important thing for making somebody feel like uh, you have that human connection and that you're paying them attention. Um, I spoke to a specialist, Emma Kenny, a a psychologist who's a brilliant woman, uh, and we were talking a little bit about eye contact. And apparently the ideal time to hold eye contact if you want to let somebody know 
that you fancy them is nine seconds. Right. Any shorter than that, and it seems like you're disinterested. Any longer than that, and you look like a weirdo. <laughs> Just creepy. <laughs> yeah, it can be a bit creepy. Um, in the absence of body language that you'd have in real life, like I can't reach out and touch your hand right now, regrettably, um, or you know, I, we can't, we don't know what each other smells like. We, there are chemical aspects of our interaction that have been removed, um, leading into other things like gesticulation, uh, making sure that you're expressing yourself with your face, basically not holding yourself as though you're in Jurassic Park and there's a T-Rex over there and you're trying not to get noticed. Um, that can just automatically make a conversation feel a bit more engaged and a bit more relaxed. Yeah, relax, don't do it when you want to go to it. Relax, don't do it when you want to listen to the Pod 20 on Podcast Radio. I'm Graham Mack and 18, the modern man from Ollie Man featuring the sexpert, Alex Fox. Coming up, I'd like to find out from you, Alex, what the most popular question is that people ask you about sex. At 17, the Mindset Mentor from Rob Dial and Cast Media, the podcast for you if you need motivation, direction and focus in your life. At 16, the Adam Buxton podcast, Adam's latest ramble chat is with the actor and comedian Ellie White, and it's full of bad language and smut. Number 15 is the Good Luck Club from the entrepreneur Simon Squibb. Real life lessons from entrepreneurs and change makers. Simon, you're a very successful businessman. You've started and sold many businesses. Where did it all start for you? I grew up in St. Neots in Cambridge and uh, at 15 years old, I left school and, start, and left home and started a company. Now, so, why, yeah, did, you, why did you leave school at, at 15 and how were you allowed to do that? Well, I, I, it's interesting because these days it seems like they're a lot stricter. To be honest, um, it was a my father passed away uh, suddenly of a heart attack, and I um, had an argument with my mother, all within the space of a month. And um, my mother and I fell out. My mother said my rules would get out, so I said, "Okay, I'll get out." And uh, and and then I moved into a squat, pretty much just around the corner from where I grew up, and um, realised quite quickly that I need to pay rent. And that's when I was thrust into the world of entrepreneurship. And frankly, there just wasn't time for school. I, um, I suddenly found myself having to earn money to pay bills. And school seemed quite trivial and unimportant at that, at that moment. So, so yeah, I, uh, I just got thrust into being an entrepreneur and had to learn the hard way what, what it's all about. And what was that business? It was a gardening company, very, very low tech. It's actually a, a story I tell because people always say, oh, um, I'm an angel investor today. So people come to me looking for money. And I always say to people, are you sure you need that money? You know, if you can start a business without money, sometimes it's a lot better. If you have an investor, even me, uh, you can accidentally end up having a boss. Um, but the trend is to get an investor, and that's not always the best way. So I, actually, for me, when I started the business, I just saw that someone had a messy garden and a big house. And put the two together and thought, well, they, you know, they've got a big house. They must have money, um, but they clearly don't have time to take care of their garden. So I literally just knocked on the door and said, hi, my name's Simon Squibb. I've got a gardening company, which I didn't have. Uh, and would you like me to take care of your garden? And to my surprise, they said yes. And then I, I did a bit of price discovery. How much do you want to pay? And, and got to an agreed price. And then uh, walked away very happy with myself that I got someone to say yes to uh, letting me take care of their garden, only to realize I didn't have any equipment or any money to buy the equipment. So um, I decided I'd better knock on quite a few houses, which, and I knocked on 100 houses in one day, got nine people to say yes to me being their gardener, and then went back the following day and asked them all for a deposit. And with that deposit money, I bought the equipment, and that's how it all started. 
You say you knocked on 100 doors. Now, sales is a numbers game. A lot of people may have given up at around number 20, 25. What was it that told you that you've got to you've got to go large if you want this to work? Because that ratio, 100 to 9, a lot of people listening to this who aren't in business will go like, wow, you know, that's not a very good batting average. But, hey, it worked. Yeah, I, I remember it very clearly. You know, this is, uh, you know, a long time ago for me now, 25, 30 years ago. But I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and my mindset was I didn't have anybody telling me, you know, you've got to follow through, which I know very well now as an entrepreneur. You've got to keep going. It was it was a couple of things. First of all, uh, I had no money. So, you know, <laughs> and, and that's a big motivator. I, I literally was go I, I starved for four days. So, you know, th these things will motivate you to keep going. And if I if I didn't make it work, if I didn't get the numbers up to get enough money deposit wise to buy the equipment, I couldn't fulfill the first person that said yes is order. Right. So it, it was literally desperation. I mean, I don't I don't think it was me particularly, you know, motivated to follow through other than the fact that, you know, if I didn't make this idea work that I suddenly had, I, I would literally not eat and not be able to pay rent. And and, and I had no, they, they call it burning the boats, you know, in, in, in yeah. Greek. You know, basically, I burnt my boats. I, if I didn't make this work, I, I couldn't go back to the old island. I had to make the island I'd landed on work. And, and then literally, this was the only idea I had to make money. Um, so I had to keep knocking until I got enough people saying yes to kind of justify deposit-wise being enough to buy the equipment. Journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Simon Squibb. And Simon will be back next week to talk about why he went off social media for a while. I'm Graham Mack, and this is the only countdown of podcasts that matters and the world's first and only podcast chart radio show. At number 14 this week, it's The Happiness Lab with Dr. Laurie Santos. A Yale professor, Dr. Laurie Santos, has studied the science of happiness and found that many of us do the exact opposite of what will make our lives better. At 13, and that's why we drink. Chilling ghost stories and terrifying true crime stories. The world's a scary place, and that's why we drink. At number 12, Unexpected Fluids from BBC Radio 1, the podcast about real-life embarrassing stories of when sex gets sloppy and a little bit wrong. One of the hosts is the sexpert Alex Fox. What's the most common question people ask you about sex, Alex? Um, at the moment, in all honesty, one of the most popular questions I'm getting is about how to date in the pandemic right. and about virtual dating. So I know that sounds like a neat segue into. Well, it's nice stuff. enough. It's fine. It's fine. If, but if it's if it's based in truth, then I'm not going to knock it. You know, and that's what we are here to talk about. We're here to talk about virtual dates. Just before we do, I have to commend you. Close Encounters was something else. It was so deep and the people you had on there had such amazing stories how did oh, you find I'm the so people glad to hear oh that. it's just wonderful uh, um where did you find the people for that one i sourced all my own interviewees wow. and this was probably as a result of having spent so many years working to prove that i was a trustworthy person and um making sure that that i treated every interviewee during my 
career with kindness and compassion. Early on in my career, I was told that I was too kind to be a journalist and that I needed to be more cutthroat. But whilst I do agree that with some forms of journalism and broadcast, it is good to challenge people. It's good to be a bit aggressive and abrasive. Politicians, for instance, yeah. But when it's actual real people's stories, you've got to have empathy, which you do. No, exactly. You, You have to treat people as as humans and you have to take care that they feel safe and trust trusted with you before you begin an interview and that they don't feel abandoned afterwards and and it really matters to me as a as as an individual it's a really big part of um who i am and what i stand for that i that i believe in taking care of everybody who agrees to work with me especially if they're discussing something that may have been traumatic or is exciting but they've never shared it with anyone before it's a privilege for me to hear that information and so i've always treated it with the utmost respect that meant that when it came to jobs like close encounters which at the time was quite groundbreaking there are a lot more um sexual podcasts now and a lot more uh, kind of interview based podcasts but um at the time that was an unusual thing to do and i was able to find those people who talked about being asexual or being polyamorous or um, working out how to navigate a sexual relationship after a major spinal cord injury. I found those people just through the networks I'd already built up as a journalist. And it was lovely that some of my previous interviewees actually chimed in to my uh, public call outs for um, to, to find people to talk to and said, you can trust this person. And also you'll have a laugh. A hot tip for any other podcasters who are thinking about interviewing people in their homes, obviously a bit more difficult right now during the pandemic. But one thing that made um, Close Encounters so personal is that I visited people's bedrooms. I was in their own space. Really basic tip, but it made all the difference. Bring a fresh pair of socks with you. There was one interview where I was required to take my shoes off to enter someone's home. I'd worn a really stinky pair of trainers. I was very distracted by my own foot odour. I'm a clean person, but I'd just been running around all day with a lot of sound kit. Um, I had a really bad pedicure. I was paranoid that they would be looking at my manky toenails. And it really distracted me throughout the interview. So if you're going to talk about sex, don't forget your socks. Good advice. Thanks, Alex Fox. Stick around, Alex. I want to find out how you ended up being someone who talks about sex for a living. It's the Pod 20, and Unexpected Fluids, featuring Alex Fox, is at number 12 this week. At 11, it's the Joe Rogan Experience. Joe's latest guest is the nutrition specialist, Dr. Paul Saladino. At 10, Lore, the podcast about dark historical tales, because sometimes the truth is more frightening than fiction. Number nine this week is Spanner and Spoon, the cartoon podcast featuring the many voices of Tom Clark Hill, who you will have heard as Tony the Tiger. Tom, you now live in the Midlands. You moved there from Los Angeles. You've also lived in Boston. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town in Northern California called Oroville, like gold Oroville. Right. And it was it was kind of where the um, one of the main parts of the California gold rush went on back in the Back in the 1800s. So is that like north of San Francisco? Yeah. Do you know where Sacramento is? Yes. 70 miles north of Sacramento and on the eastern side of the valley. Right. Right in the foothills. Yeah. And and what did you want to be as a kid? Did you always want to be a a voice actor? I have no idea. I I think the first thing I ever thought I I got into was Roy Rogers. So um, I wanted to be a cowboy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about show business much. I, I think music was probably the, the first thing that I wanted to do that, that had any sort of meaning to me. Yeah. But um, I was too scattered. And also, I was into sports in high school and uh, partying. So, like, either one or the other. And then, uh, luckily, I was forced to take piano lessons as a young kid. All the kids in my family, my grandmother was a concert pianist. And my mother's a really good piano player still. Even at 91, she's still playing piano. Wow. So we all had it forced upon us. So when I took up the bass at the age of 19, I already knew how to read bass clef and treble clef, and, and I, I was working within four months. And you were working, what, live gigs or session work? Yeah, live gigs. Yeah, wow. I, I, moved, to, I moved from um, Los Angeles. I, I moved from Northern California to L.A. right out of high school just to get out of this little town. And then I had a cousin who was a musician in Boston, Massachusetts. He played in the Boston Symphony, but he was a jazz player as well. And he called me up and said, come back and study with me. And I did that and went to a school called Berkeley College of Music. And um, within like I, I just took the summer class because I wasn't sure if I could cut it. And my uh, melody and improvisation teacher hired me for his band. And, <laughs> and it's, it's one of those miracles, you know. Because he could have used any of the teachers that were great players, but he just saw something in me and uh, g gave me a shot, you know. So I was playing, uh, and his last name was Ruggiero, Gary Ruggiero. So we had a, our, our steady gig was at a place called Caruso's Diplomat, which wow. was, uh, we called it a mafia wedding factory. <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like four Italian weddings going on every weekend, you know. And I could tell you some stories about that place, man. Uh, eight was it? Is that why, age between about eighteen and twenty-five, you 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 became a bit of a tearaway, went off the rails a little bit? Oh, for sure. Was that but, was that the environment that did that to you? Do you think? No, no. It was it was uh, it was more the the town I was from, and also you know my parents are both uh, uh, pretty heavy on the sauce too, you know. So, but I mean, it was, it was that era too. You know, we did a lot of partying in those days, and uh, yeah. So what was it that, that got you finally sober? Did you have an epiphany or a particular incident or an intervention? That was a 12-step program, man. You actually went through the... Are we supposed to talk about this on this podcast? I, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> it's yeah, up yeah. to you. Yeah, it's yeah, up to yeah. you. But I see. So you actually went through AA. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I still, I still do that. Right. Okay. So it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a daily thing. Yeah. Well, hey, we'll go, how long now? 40 years. Wow. See, I haven't had a drink since 1997, but I don't know the date, and I just stopped. But yeah. uh, people who've been through AA seem to have the date and know exactly the, the thing. It's a big deal, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, good for you, man. Yeah, what, I just... What made you quit? I was doing uh, breakfast radio, Yeah. which means you have... Uh, when you have lunch, it's dinner time, so you have right. a few drinks with lunch, and it turns into a few more drinks with lunch, and... Yeah, end up everybody's having drinks with lunch, and then we have uh, we have Guinness in the studio, and we have a bar in the studio at breakfast time, and it just yeah. all started getting a little bit out of hand. And yeah. and there was a day I needed to get a lot of work done because I always used to have, you know have these long lunches and then have a sleep, and I and uh, I had a day when I needed to get a lot of work done. I thought, well, I won't have a drink today. I'll I'll just get this work done, and I was shocked at how much I got done. 
Right. And, and then I thought to myself, I wonder when the last day was I didn't have a drink. Well, it wasn't yesterday. It wasn't last week. And it wasn't. And I went. And, I, and then I suddenly realised I couldn't remember the last day I'd gone without having a drink. And I got scared. So I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to pack it in for a week and see if it's tough. And it wasn't that bad. And then I thought, well, I'll do a month and see how I go. And after a month, I thought you know, I really like it better this way. I like being yeah. able to drive wherever I want to go without the logistics of getting home and, you know, yeah. actually remembering getting home. was <laughs> And doing breakfast radio too. You have to be sharp first thing in the morning. Yeah. And you probably know first thing in the morning when you drink is the worst time to yeah. try and be sharp. So, yeah, it was just, it was partly a career thing, I suppose, but also definitely a lifestyle thing. Just It just didn't work for me. Good I was for you, about, I was 30, 33, 34, something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Clark Hill from the podcast Spanner and Spoon. Spanner and Spoon at number nine this week. Tom will be back next week to talk about what it was like to move to the UK and get work as a voiceover artist. At number eight, On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. One of Jay's recent guests was Russell Brand. Number seven, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell. It's parenting, just not as you know it. At number six, Close Encounters. Alex Fox talks to couples about their sexual encounters. Alex, how did you become a sexpert? Well, when somebody describes something to re related to sex as being mostly accidental, it's not usually a good thing. But in my case, it was. Um, I studied linguistics. So uh, if, any, if you're familiar with my work, the idea of me having a degree in verbosity and talking will come as no surprise whatsoever. Um, but I'd always been obsessed with language and I knew that I wanted to write and communicate for a living. Um, I got my big break as a journalist on a, uh, a glossy magazine, glossy because it needed to be white clean uh, called Bizarre. Sadly, it's gone to that big publishing house in the sky now, but it was an alternative culture publication that dealt with fetishes and kinks and unusual arts and body modification. I interviewed people who were tattooing their own eyeballs and piercing their cervixes. I tried underwater bondage. I dressed up as a, a furry animal for the day to investigate that subculture. Um, and I loved my job there. I was there for about six and a half years. But it was quite hedonistic and it was also admittedly quite niche. Um, then everything changed when the series of um well they're not my favorite books but they did open up some interesting conversations 50 shades of gray that yeah. phenomenon landed upon the planet uh and whilst uh, whilst i think that um as an art form it left a lot to be desired um in terms of uh bringing subjects uh, and sexual predilections that had previously been very underground to the fore and suddenly opening up mainstream conversations about those kind of things it did a huge amount of work i cannot underestimate its impact um on a personal level, it meant that I went from being this fairly specialist journalist uh, to suddenly being in demand from really mainstream publications, the BBC, The Guardian. I had a, co a column in Men's Fitness for a while. Um, suddenly everyone wanted to talk to, talk to me. That was 
really flattering because I'd spent many years convincing interviewees who'd previously been understandably very media shy that they could trust me, that I wasn't going to sensationalise their stories, that I wasn't going to talk to them about their uh, very personal um, experiences and tastes and then basically sell them out to the press and leave them with the emotional uh, fallout sometimes of, of having gone public with talking about something that most people would keep private. I worked really, really hard to establish myself as a respectable and respected journalist in that field. Um, and so it was lovely for me when the BBC sent round their normal folks or the Telegraph sent their standard reporter and those people in their community said, we won't talk to you, but we will talk to Alex Fox. Um, off the back of that, people started coming to me and asking me from, for advice. And I realised that um, whilst I was trying to maintain my journalistic integrity and do research on sexual matters where I didn't know the answer, um, I needed some training really to help um, spot potential issues, you know, if somebody was in trouble, if there was some safeguarding to be done. So because I didn't have much money, I ended up approaching a young people's sexual health charity that I'd used as a young person myself called Brooke and said to them, hey, would you be willing to give me some training in basic sexual health facts, uh, contraception, um, the, the choices that people have um, when it comes to relationships and, and consent? Um, would you be willing to allow me to attend some of those workshops if I help you get more press? They agreed to that. So it was a real skill exchange. I'm now an ambassador for that charity. And everything grew from there, really. Um, I entered podcasting because I was doing a live storytelling show, actually talking about my experiences, both of um, that underwater bondage that I mentioned earlier, where I was dressed as a mermaid and waited to the bottom of a swimming pool whilst tied up in shibari ropes. Um, and I also did another stand-up set all about having synesthesia. Um, I have a condition where sometimes when I experience a, a certain emotion, I uh, smell a phantom scent that isn't there. So happiness smells of lemons and uh, love smells like um, Haribo Kiddies Supermix. <laughs> so, so I'd stood up at this Not a show. bad condition to have, you know, as they go, you know. Uh, it's in the main it's very very pleasant occasionally it can take me by surprise people vaping now has really thrown a spanner in the works because um i used to know that if i was smelling strawberries it was indicative of my own um internal emotive emotional state now i'll be walking along the road and i'll smell strawberries and it, as a result of someone else someone's vape and be really confused because I thought I was you know in business mode <laughs> you know uh, but yeah I, I, I told a couple of stories about my career and my personal life on stage um this was uh, at an event called Spark which um, my now wonderful producer Matt Hill was helping to run he produces The Modern Man he worked with me on the Guardian audio series um close encounters oh I'm juggling with my pen circus skills to boot um he spotted me uh, doing those live live storytelling shows and thought that I'd be great for broadcast so really everything has expanded very organically I'm now in a position where I'm trying to rather than go with the flow actually purpose build my own boat and try and steer my career a little yeah. bit more but yeah that's the uh, not so short story of how I came to talk about sex and relationships for a living 
Well, thanks for telling us it, Alex. That's Alex Fox. You've probably heard her on Radio 1 and her podcast, Close Encounters, is at number six this week on the Pod 20. Alex will be back next week to tell you everything you need to know about virtual dating. We're into the top five now, and at number five, Freakonomics Radio, the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Daubner, the co-author of the Freakonomics books. At number four, David Tennant does a podcast with. In his latest episode, David does a podcast with Billy Piper, and he asks her what it was like to be married to Chris Evans. Billy says, I imagine it's what your uni years feel like. Sort of reckless, but you learn a lot. David Tennant does a podcast with Billy Piper, is at number four this week. At number three, the Michelle Obama podcast. The former first lady dives deep into conversations with family, friends and colleagues. At two, the Taskmaster podcast, hosted by former champion and chickpea lover Ed Gamble. Which brings us all the way to the top. And back at number one... Shagged, married, annoyed. The only way Chris and Rosie Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones is by doing a podcast. That's it for episode 26 of the Pod 20. Thanks to this week's guest podcasters, Alex Fox, Simon Squibb and Tom Clark Hill. If you'd like to watch extended video chats with my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Next week's guest is Gary Hayes from Highway 61 Podcasts. Tell me about Highway 61, Gary. Yeah, Highway 61. We are a narrative podcast producer, although we don't strictly do just narrative podcasts. So that's a contradiction in itself. So we're just trying to bring about um, that American model of podcasting into the UK. Um, you know, to, we're, For anyone uh, that doesn't understand, just explain the difference between a narrative podcaster and, a, and any other kind, like an interview kind or whatever. Yeah, so you, you'll, you'll speak to most people and they'll say that, oh, they love cereal and they love this American life or they're fans of what, you know, the content that Gimlet put out on Wondery and, you know, others like that and Luminary as, as another. Um, but in the UK, that, that style of telling stories through the podcast hasn't really taken off like it has in the states where they're getting you know for, for instance in the case of serial they're getting this true crime murder thriller and telling it over the course of 15 episodes and just really being forensic on the storytelling in terms of where they're going with it but a lot of it is just using a narrative to push the podcast along whereas a lot of podcasts here in the uk which is fine because we, we do a couple of them ourselves, which are just sort of talk shows. Um, so, you know, the biggest one that I can think of is something like um, totally the Totally Football Show or Football Weekly, where you've got three or four people in a room talking football or talking another sport or talking around another issue. So those round tables work, but we just look at it and think that the market is saturated with that content. And what value can we offer to the market and what value can we offer to clients and potential clients to sort of push the podcast conversation along in, in the UK? And we're trying to do what they're doing in America and for, well, for a global audience, but with a UK audience, you know, at the heart of it, really. So that that's our reason for being that. That's why we created the company. And it's just trying to drive what is a passion project into a business really now you mentioned serial is that the one that really turned you on to narrative podcasting 
Yeah, it really is. It's, uh, I was listening to This American Life before then, but it was on a holiday in Mexico listening to Serial where I just couldn't get enough of it. And I was just laying and I binged it because I was late to it. And I just, I knew I was going away and I was like, actually, this this podcast that everyone's talking about, I'm going to just sort of let it build up and I'll listen to it at once while I'm, while I'm on holiday. And I just got hooked. And from there, I was, you know, I was on holiday, I was making these notes of how I could, you know, ideas I had maybe for books or ideas I had for other little projects within my line of work at the time, because I was a football writer. I was like, this would work better as a podcast. This would work in the serial way. And now, years, five, six years later, it took me to Highway 61. Gary Hayes, my special guest next week on the Pod 20. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart? Will Shagged Married Annoyed still be in the top spot? Maybe your favourite podcast will be number one. Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.